This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse. Comic Book Click is on Patreon, guys. For as little as $0.10 cents a day or $3 a month, not only can you help keep the lights on here at Comic Book Click headquarters, but your donation gives you access to exclusive content like CBC commentaries, polls where you can choose what content we cover next, and special behind-the-scenes footage of things here at Comic Book Click. Visit Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse today and become a Patreon. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. Hello everybody out there in comic book land, my name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you can only be here for one reason, and that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by ComicBookClick.com, and as always, I am never alone. Sir, please introduce yourself. I am the comic man of Daniel, Daniel the comic book manual. He is Dan the comic book man, and Dan and I are here to talk about a film so new, I think it came out yesterday. Uh, just pretty sure. Just a little bit of transparency for you folks. We've had Black Widow on our schedule <laughs> several times, and every single time we get close to covering it, it moves dates. The Black Widow film was scheduled to have already come out, and then we would have been reviewing it this week. But with no Black Widow film to be found, we had to scour the earth for something else that was latest and greatest, and that brought us to Justice Society World War Two. Uh, what a hell of a title <laughs> for for this animated film. And this film is a direct-to-video, so, you know, it didn't come out on, um, you know, any like in theaters. Uh, produced by Warner Brothers Animation and DC Entertainment. It's the 41st in the, D, uh, in the DC animated uh, universe thing. Um, they've been playing around with the continuity ever since Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. Um, and since then, yeah, it... Things have been kind of moving around. Yeah, that's something I'm going to have to get on because I just looked at this, honestly, as just like its own DC put out animated movie. I didn't see this as as the DC animated universe that we've known from Throne of Atlantis and Wonder Woman Bloodline and all that stuff. Like, I didn't know that this had anything to do with that until a couple of minutes ago, like a couple of hours ago. It's like, okay, now I need to watch Justice League uh, Dark Apocalypse War. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so the at the end of the events of Apocalypse, where I believe the Flash goes back in time to change things, a la Flashpoint. Um, if I'm not mistaken, don't don't chew me up if I'm wrong. Um, what I will say is I did not watch what I guess are the predecessors to this film that established the universe, which would be Superman, Man of Tomorrow, and I guess Batman, Son of the Dragon. Um, we just went in this cold, and again, I, from all the all the stuff I saw, the promotional stuff, I thought it was just going to be the Justice Society. I didn't think that this would link up to anything. And this really isn't even the Justice Society that I knew. Like, this is just another world's Justice League that they happen to name the Justice Society. Yeah. This is very in keeping to the Justice Society um, that was originally founded in the comics. There's a couple of changes, and we'll get into them. But, um, yeah, I I was watching this, and there were several questions I was left with, and the only answers could be that there's there has to be another film to answer it, you know? So... That's what I'm dealing with as far as uh, where this is set to go. Um, they said that some of the concepts 
for the story and the setting originated from a Wonder Woman animated series developed by producer Butch Lukic, uh, who would later incorporate them into his film or into this film. Um, another thing I found was there is an issue of a DC comic called The Secret Origin of the JSA, which shows them fighting in World War II um, well, um, and fighting against Hitler, who has the Spear of Destiny, which is this is exactly what I thought was going to happen here. I thought that they were going to have Hitler. He was going to have the Spear of Destiny, something that they played around with in Legends of Tomorrow. I want to say season three. Hitler um, was basically MacGuffin here. He was like a red herring. He was like yeah. a red herring. Was like, there is no Hitler in, the, in here. And not to mention that it's incredibly easy to write. In my opinion, it's incredibly easy to write. Um, uh, you know, war stories when it's the Nazis. Oh no, the one hundred percent. You know, unlikable or as inhuman as you want. It doesn't even matter what, like, kind of war story you're telling. It's the Allied forces versus the Soviet Nazis, and it's like, okay, there you go. There's your story. Yeah. Like this wasn't even anything significant. If anything, this reminded me a lot of. Wonder Woman's first movie, but set 20 years later. Yeah. There was a lot of No Man's Land type of stuff in here. Well, they definitely took, I want to say, some of the choreography from the action scenes from some straight out of the DCEU. Oh, 100%. There was some stuff from Man of Steel, some stuff from BBS, Wonder Woman, etc. So the Justice Society of America is is, what this film is primarily based on. And that is a super team. Uh, superhero team appearing in American comic books published by DC and it was conceived by editor uh, Sheldon Mayer and writer Gardner Fox during the quote-unquote golden age of comic books. So the JSA first appeared in All-Star Comics issue 3 winter of 1940 uh, or making it into 1941. So that that picture that you see of a, a bunch of people are on a round table the first ever kind of sort of super team yep. that's what um, that's the JSA in All-Star Comics number 3. So the original members of the team were Dr. Fate, Our Man, The Spectre, Sandman, Adam, Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Hawkgirl, Johnny Thunder, Thunderbolt, uh, Wildcat, Star Spangled Kid, Stripe, Dr. Midnight, Starman, Mr. Terrific, Black Canary, Red Tornado, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Robin, and Huntress. <laughs> uh, it is considered... You know, because it it was dated, the comic that they appeared in was dated uh, in 1940. They are considered the very first team uh, in superhero comics. Which they would be, wouldn't they? Right. So, um, during the Silver Age of comic books, which a lot of people, like Hallmark, like the marker for that is um, the showcase issue that The Flash ended up showing in, um, Barry Allen's Flash. That ends up. That's what a lot of people hallmark as DC's the start of DC's Silver Age. So they introduce a new Flash that has like you know lightning. That's how he got his origin. Whereas Jay Garrick, I think, got hit with hard water or something like that. Some kind of weird. Uh, kind of weird. Yeah, some kind of weird madness. Same thing with the Green Lantern. Um, you know, we had Alan Scott, whose ring you know was like couldn't work against yellow, and he had like a weakness to wood or something like that. And then. Um, yeah, we th- with the introduction of these new versions of the Flash and the Green Lantern and stuff like that, they kind of just pushed the Justice Society uh, to the side. Um, they reinvented several Justice Society members and banded them together to start a new team, the Justice League of America, the JLA. So the JSA members remained absent for comics for 10 years. For 10 years, they're gone. None of them. Uh, like we were just saying, Alan Scott... That's crazy. 
the Spectre Sandman and stuff. Yeah. They wanted a clean slate. Um, and we didn't know where they went. We didn't know whether or not any of their adventures mattered, any of that stuff, until we got to um, Flash ish, Flash number 123 in September 1961, where Jay Garrick appeared alongside Barry Allen. I believe that was called the comic was called The Flash of Two Worlds or something like that. Um, the Justice Society was established after that as existing on Earth 2. And the Justice League on Earth One, so we had kind of a clean cut. At least those three, right? We had Earth One, that's kind of messed up. Earth, yeah. Earth Two, which is all the uh, World War Two era uh, heroes, and then Earth Three, um, where the villains are. Justice, um, I'm sorry, uh, Crime Syndicate. Crime Syndicate, exactly. Yeah. Crime Syndicate. Um, with them now being on different Earths, and then that meant a lot of cross dimensional team ups. And I feel like they're setting up for something like that in in this. Um, the, I believe it was Doctor Fate that said something along the lines of like you, you'll see him again, or whatever. Yeah, or, uh, talking about uh, yeah, that Barry. whole scene was just weird. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I'm gonna get into what I think is going on there, but we will get there when we get there. Let's talk about this cast, this voice acting cast. I not only wrote the cast down, but some of their um more notable work, and also when their character first debuted in comics. So we have Stan Akkadic as uh, Diana slash Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman made her debut in All-Star Comics at the end of 1941 and was on the cover of a new comic book, Sensation Comics, in the beginning of 1942. Um, Stan Akkadic also voiced Talia al Ghul in Batman Arkham City and Lois Lane in Superman Unbound. Mm, nice, nice, nice. A lot of these guys have a hell of a pedigree. Um... We got Matt Bomber, your boy. Yeah, yo, I was so happy when I saw his name. I was like, yo, who's Matt Bomber going to be? Oh, no, he's not. Right. So Matt Bomber plays Barry Allen. Yes, he uh, does. And the Flash. So happy. Same person. Um, Flash first appeared in Showcase number 4, like I said, in 1956, marking the beginning of the Silver Age of television, or television, Silver Age of comics. Uh, and Matt Bomber also voiced Clark Kent and Superman in Superman Unbound, and Famously played Larry Trainer on Doom Patrol. And, sorry, plays Larry Trainer on Doom Patrol. Um, Omid Batahi plays Carter Hall, a.k.a. Hawkman. The original Hawkman first appeared in Flash Comic Number 1, published by All-American Publications in 1940. I didn't have anything on him. Darren Chris plays Superman slash Clark Kent slash Shakespeare. Superman was created by writer uh, Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Schuster and first appeared in Action Comics number one in 1938. So like, as, you, as you're seeing, you know, 41 uh, Wonder Woman, 42, um, uh, sorry, 40 Hawkman, 38 Superman, 41, you know? So this is all existing right around the time of World War Two. Literally. Literally existing in World War Two. Um... Chris Diamantopoulos mm-hmm. uh, plays Steve Trevor, who first appeared in All-Star Comics number 8 in December of 1941. Um, Chris also voiced Green Arrow in the Batman Unlimited uh, film series and Justice League action. Matthew Mercer plays Tyler Rex slash Our Man. Sorry, Rex Tyler. Tyler Rex. Tyler Rex is the other dude. The wrestler. wrestler. Isn't a wrestler, yeah. yeah. I, didn't ever, I never put that Rex together. Tyler, Tyler. Oh, Tyler my God. Rex. Yeah, but his whole thing was T-Rex. That was his whole thing. Well, that's funny because gimmick. when you go by that formality of, you know, putting someone's name on documents, Rex Tyler's name would be Tyler, Rex. Yeah. And you're, fami- you're a bit familiar with Rex Tyler, at least, you know, the powers of Our Man because of Stargirl. 
Mom, yeah, my man Rex Tyler, a real useless superhero, but oh, he tr- he tries, he tries. <laughs> the original Iron Man was created by writer Ken Finch and artist Bernard Bailey in Action Comics number four. I'm oh, sorry, Action Comics number forty-eight in 1940 during the Golden Age of comic books. Matthew Mercer also voiced Ice Big Joe on Beware of the Batman, Superman and Two Face on DC Superhero Friends, Black Widow, Dollman and Oliver Queen, Green Arrow on Freedom Fighters, The Ray, A Guard in Justice League War, Mech Guard Number One and Wealthy Jock in Batman Unlimited, Animal Instincts, Hellhound and Chucky Soul in Batman Bad Blood, Anarchy in Batman Arkham Origins, Robin in Batman Arkham Knight, Deadshot in Injustice Two, Mister Freeze in Batman: The Enemy Within, and Nightwing in Lego DC Supervillains. Yep, my man Matt Mercer is a huge voice actor. Yeah, I had no huge idea. Huge on the and you know it's great. He, I think he started as a voice actor, but I'm pretty sure he was started as as the dungeon master on Geeks and Sundries and you know dun, cool. Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. But I remember when I found him, yeah, he was the dungeon master on Dungeons and Dragons, and I looked up his his uh, filmography, and this was like three years ago. He was in. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure on the American dubbed as one of the Joe stars. I was like, whoa, who is this guy? Yeah. And then he just kept getting voice roles later and later and later. I'm like, yo, Matt Mercer is like Tony Barker levels of underrated. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the guy's got a hell of a pedigree. Elysia Rotaru plays Dinah Lance slash Black Canary. The original version was created by writer-artist team of Robert Kanaiher and Carmen Infantino. The character debuted in Flash Comics number 86 in 1947 and played two different... Oh, the actress played two different roles on Smallville and also played Tiana Venedikov in Arrow. So there's a there's a season of Arrow where she's um, on an island with a woman. Um... Is it's that like the one scientist? that Slade? Oh no, that's not the one Slade was in love with. No, right? it's they, no, it's uh, like some scientist woman, um, and they're dealing with like cursed artifacts. It's the Damien Dark season, basically. Ah. Um, Armin Taylor plays Jay Garrick, the Flash. Garrick was created by writer Gardner Fox and artist Harry Lampert. He first appeared in Flash Comics number one in 1940. Um, Armin Taylor that uh, did. did voiceover work in both Spider-Man games, but also does a lot of anime. Hunter x Hunter, JoJo yep. Bizarre Adventure, nice. Sword Art Sword Art Online. Um, Leon McIntyre plays King Arthur slash Aquaman, created by Paul Norris and Mort Weisinger. The character debuted in More Fun Comics number 73 in November of 1941. He also played the Weather Wizard in The Flash and um, did some voice work as Captain Boomerang in the DCAU. So that connected universe with those um, Suicide Squad panels. Last but not least, Keith Ferguson plays Dr. Fate. The original version of the character was created by writer Gardner Fox. Gardner Fox is knocking things out. And yeah, he artist, basically uh, created the JSA. Yeah. If you really look at it. And artist Howard Sherman the fir- uh, and first appeared in More Fun Comics number 55 in 1940. Keith Ferguson voiced Jefferson Skeevers in Batman Year One. Gruff Copped and Distinguished Man in Batman Unlimited, Animal Instincts, Karate Kid and Nemesis Kid on Legion of Superheroes, Superman and Solomon Grundy on Super Best Friends Forever, uh, Albert Pennyworth and Commissioner James Gordon in Lego Batman the Video Game, and Dr. Stephen Kellerman in Batman Arkham Asylum. Another guy with a lot of credits. Uh, without spoiling it, Dan, what did you think of this film? Um... It was a alright, so there was a lot. I love this film as it stands alone. And I guess for most people, that's really the end of the conversation. Oh, you love the film. You love the film. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. There's more to that. You can genuinely love a film and still be bothered by 
all of the hits and misses. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of hits, a lot of moments that I loved, a lot of misses, a lot of, well, I expected more, or I expected better, or, okay, this is getting a little boring, where are we going here? If I was to just give my initial first-time reaction grade rating, it's an 8.5 out of 10. I think it is phenomenal. If you're going to compare, because people love to compare, if you're going to compare it to, like, Flashpoint, it's better than Flashpoint, to me. Right. I think it's because I think it's more entertaining than Flashpoint. Right. It's a movie that I can literally throw on and be like, oh, yeah, let's let's, let's watch this. The animation, phenomenal. The action, the cinematography, amazing. But there was a lot to be left to desire. There was a lot to be desired that I didn't get. Yeah. There was a, there was there was so many characters that they could have given us that I'd rather have had than the ones that we got. Okay. I wonder if there's like a weird rights issue because we're going to end up seeing some members of the JSA in Black Adam. And uh, I know it's not these guys. Like, it's... They have Hawkman, but they also have like um, some like magician, I think, or something like that. Like Wait, they, doesn't... Don't they have... They have Zatanna's uh, mentor, right? No. It's um, Hawkman. Because I remember when they casted Hawkman. Let me see if I can find this. That wouldn't even be... Do, would this be our... Are we getting Doctor Fate? We're getting Doctor Fate, right? I think... Yeah, I think Doctor Fate was the other... Was the other and that would be that the first live-action Doctor Fate? Or was he already in Arrow's I verse? I think he's in Smallville. That was about to say. Was he in Smallville? I could have... Probably... Yeah, Pierce Brosnan is Doctor Fate, remember? That is weird. Yeah. Uh, Pierce Brosnan. Um... I was a little upset we didn't get the Spectre in this. That's my, that's my man from the JSA. Uh, I like this film. I like the new art style. Yeah, he was in Smallville. I actually think that the voice acting is the, in this is better than the voice acting in Invincible. I know that might be a little bit com- oh, there was certain There were certain actors in Invincible where I personally love the actors. Give me somebody else that can do the job that that's required. I love Jason. Mazz- I was about to say, just say it, it's Jason Mendes. Yeah, he's just yelling all of his lines. Like he's just talking like this every single episode and every single dialogue, and it's just this. He's on, he's on ten all the time, and I love him with all me- Derek. That's maximum Derek. That's Dennis Feinstein. He's yeah. in the league. I love that actor. His his character was getting me annoyed. It's like. Damn, bro. Yeah, he was super stressed all the time. Um, yeah, so I like that. I like the action stuff. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you guys even more transparency than I usually do. I was having a long day when I uh, watched this film. So I started to uh, partake in one of my recreational duties. And it coincided with a moment in the film that made me like laugh out loud and just be like, what the hell? Uh, and I'll get into when that happens. But I was like, wait. Did I did I miss something? But I'm we'll probably yeah. We'll I was there. I'm literally there with some of the parts of the film where I'm like, wait, what is? I did I go to the com- to to another conversation and come back and like not pay attention because right because I had to, I had to watch a few scenes twice over. Where I'm like, wait a minute, what what did I miss here? There is, oh okay, now uh... I get the plot because basically I was looking for the plot the whole movie. Okay, I was literally like looking for the plot this entire movie like okay what's the plot flash was on a date flash heard the for, heard the town go go uh, berserk flash needs to help superman what does this have to do with going back in yeah. time oh now we're not even in time what does this have to do with anything right like there right. was a lot of what does this what are we going for is this just a series of random events to get us in place or so i'm of the opinion that um 
they that there's been a concentrated effort in the last I don't know five years to get um, the JSA back. During the New Fifty Two, they kind of ignored a lot of those characters, and um, there were a lot of people not happy about it because the JSA got fans, man. The people who have been reading them since the forties or whatever, you know, like that person could st- still be totally be alive today. Um, and so a lot of people were were upset that you can't just see. They, it's bad enough that they moved them to another Earth first, right? And, yeah, and then they just and they're the, they're American. They're not even America. They're comic books. First team, yeah. If that is the case, they deserve Earth One. Throw Justice League on Earth Two. I also thought it was funny how in this film they say that, like this is Earth One, because why would anyone call their Earth Earth Two? True, everyone. True. Someone comes to our Earth, you're from Earth Two. We, you know, they come to our. It's like, oh no, this is Earth Two. It's like, oh no, you're Earth Two. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that happened because I, I always wonder why other Earths would assume, like you know, uh, every Earth should be Earth One from their own perspective. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Uh, you ready to get into this bad yeah, boy? Yeah, let's let's get into this bad boy. Okay, so our film starts off with a briefing being given by Colonel Steve Trevor to President Roosevelt about Germany's growing invasion and occupation throughout the rest of Europe. I swear to God, I thought Roosevelt was played by Jeremy Irons, and I was going to get really happy. Like, I'm listening. I was like, yo, that's got to be Jeremy Irons. It's got to be Jeremy Irons. It sounds like it Jeremy Irons. It was Irons. Roosevelt, right? It was President Roosevelt. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. there was President Roosevelt and Steve Trevor, and I thought that, that Roosevelt was played by Irons. Nope. Irons was not in this movie, and I was really upset. Right. Um, but but even worse, the Nazis have been scouring the Earth looking for mysterious and magical artifacts to aid in their takeover. To counteract this, Steve suggests putting a team together featuring Our Man, Rex Tyler, Black Canary, Dinah Lance, The Flash, Jay Garrick, and Carter Hall, Hawkman. To lead this team, Trevor introduces Diana Prince, a.k.a. Wonder Woman, to President Ro- Roosevelt, and our adventure begins. I thought this was a pretty good uh, opener. Get you in the field, like I like the the the, the Art Deco uh, titles and. No, fonts. yeah, it had a very news on the war type. Like, if anybody knows what that is, it's like back in like those days. Whenever you go to the movies, you had news between your movies. Yeah, because like, you know you go to the movies now and they have those stupid little trivia things. Because and... the Captain America scene where he's in the theater and everyone gets all rowdy. Yes, the veterans or whatever the hell. That's and going anybody on that the hasn't part. seen Captain America, well, you shouldn't be listening to the podcast if you haven't. But very who framed who framed Roger Rabbit? That whole between uh, Roger Rabbit watching uh, Goofy and Mickey, and then all of a sudden there was a whole big thing on the news, and that's where Eddie Valiant gets his idea. That's my reference of the week. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, but I like I like that, and I was very surprised when then the next uh, ensuing shot is in present day Metropolis. I was very confused. I was like, okay, because I thought this entire thing would be set during World War II with the JSA. So I think that's pretty. Uh, that was a pretty interesting turn there. In the current day, Barry Allen, a.k.a. The Flash, is trying his best to relax on his date with Iris West, but they argue over the terms of their relationship and whether or not to make it public. When an explosion is heard nearby, Barry races to the uh, cause of it after Iris gives him permission, and it's Brainiac, who's trying to enslave Metropolis and neutralize Superman. The two do a good job of destroying Brainiac's robots, but Brainy uses his backup plan, a piece of kryptonite fashioned into a bullet to shoot the Man of Steel. Barry sees this and does his best to use his super speed to intercept the projectile, but in doing so is flung not only uh, into the past, but onto a different Earth, which we ended up finding out that later. But yeah. Yeah, uh, that's another thing that I'm getting. I think I'm kind of, you know, I loved what they did in the Jack Snyder Justice League. And I think that that is my, in the nicest way possible, straw that broke the camel's back. I'm tired of watching 
the Flash <laughs> literally turn back time with his running because, like, I'm gonna be real honest. Yes, it's a comic book setting. It's a fantasy world, and nothing exists. But give me a little suspension of disbelief. You know, like there is n- time isn't feasible. It's a word. Yeah, time isn't real. There is no such thing as time. Only how you measure. The day, like you know, like you, right, right, yeah. Time isn't a real thing. You can't put time in a bottle and and capture it, and there it is forever. Isn't there to be a song about doing just that. I mean, if you <laughs> yes, Jim Croce. If you could put time in a bottle, but it's like you know, time isn't tangible, right? I don't think you could literally run fast enough to reverse time. Don't think so. I don't. I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna argue with you on the physics of it. My whole thing is that I was a bit not a fan of the Flash until I found out that he can do this. Because, in my opinion, running fast was never something that impressed me. Um, now, as far as going back in time, that has always been portrayed to me as an in case of mercy break glass situation. The issue is we're seeing that done. On three different fronts. We're seeing it done every time Barry has to do something important. He's turning back time. Right. That and is becoming a crutch. Away, they think they're getting away with it because it's in different universes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Barry went back and turned back time and, and messed things up in Flashpoint. Then he did the same thing in Flashpoint Paradox, the film that you saw. Then he did the same thing in Justice League uh, Snyder Cut. Didn't he do saw. it in, in the Flash TV show too? Yeah. He did a Flashpoint. In season version. one? Yeah, 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 no, he did a, he did it every. I think almost the first three seasons. Oh my god, that's you! Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh no! You know what I'm saying. So at yeah. this point, I'm just like, this is this. It's is. like the Batman's parents died in the alleyway yeah. thing. It's like yeah. you don't get Flash without getting him in that position where Showing he's him at his own... biggest, at his his biggest feat is being able and, to do something. And like that. every time, it's always a, I gotta break the rules. I gotta break the rules. I can't break the rules. It's like, bro, just at this point, just make it your finishing move. What film did you think he was referencing um, with uh, when he was talking about knowing about time travel and the paradoxes and stuff? Uh, well, you know, the usual go-to is always Back to the Future. I was wondering if he was talking about like Flashpoint Paradox, like if he saw that, <laughs> if he had a that'd a be DC funny universe subscription and saw his own film. But uh, I think he's yeah. I think like with the most, they're usually talking about if not, no, it's usually always Back to the Future. That's like the go-to. Yeah. In his travel through the Speed Force, we see Dr. Fate advise him to keep running until our Flash ends up on on Earth 2 during World War II. There, we see a fierce Diana take out a number of German soldiers using her super speed, strength, and weaponry. A force to be reckoned with, she advises Hawkman to wait for Steve Trevor before they leave to assist our man. Suddenly, a vortex opens and Barry shows up. Diana, thinking him a tool of the enemy, interrogates him before tasking Black Canary with, uh, with babysitting him. This doesn't prove to be uh, smart as the speedster quickly leaves her careful watch to take down some Nazis who are threatening to kill innocent civilians. What did you uh, think of this uh, Wonder Woman? This Wonder Woman had the accent that I wanted. Yeah, it's the, one of the first times they've actually... I, and, uh, it's I mean, like, be... You get accents before. Like, you know, like, Gail Gadot has an accent. Like, you get... no, I feel like she's the front runner is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, she, she really whole... talked like with real accent. Like, it was... It, I don't know why it felt... This was the most authentic Diana that I've that I've gotten. Yeah, to the point that several times, and I will continue to do this, I refer to her as Diana. I don't even really see a Wonder Woman there yet. Uh, she is all war. She is very pragmatic. She sees things in black and white. Uh, she kind of has a 
um, you know, she infantilizes uh, humans like they're all children. <laughs> definitely, definitely does. Definitely does because there is a running theme where she doesn't think Trevor is good enough to be on the front lines. Yeah. And it's not about him being good enough. It's about his willingness to. That's what the bigger, you know. And there, there, there's a lot of humans shouldn't fight with gods in this movie. And I feel like that, that that's messed up because, you know, this is my home. No one's going to tell me I can't fight for it. Right. I, yeah, I like all his stuff there. Oh, yeah. This is one of my favorite Steves. Yeah. This has been my favorite Steve since Chris Pine brought him to life in the first in Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman 84. Doubt. Sir, you said brought him to life, right? <laughs> Not like that, sir. I meant the. I meant we as right, a, right. we as a film industry brought him to life in the first Wonder Woman movie. That is one of my favorite Steve Trevor's because he was very, you know, he was he was he had room for change and had room for growth, but he was still very stuck in his ways of this is what I know, this is what I am, and so this was a very much a great Steve Trevor. Yeah, I. Personally, I loved this Steve Trevor. I, I, I found myself actually saying that more often than not where I'm like, damn, this is the Wonder Woman-Trevor relationship I've kind of wanted. And I only really got once in the Love is a Battlefield. Because you know, from what I've personally read, if I go and read New 52 Wonder oh, Woman, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would probably get a lot of that. Well, not New 52. She was uh, screwing Superman in New 52. <laughs> oh, never mind. Well, then. Yeah, so if I, if I go and read like a, a Wonder Woman run where or story where she has Steve Trevor as her main love interest, I'll probably love that. But I've only gotten two moments, two instances where I truly loved them together. And that's Wonder Woman 84. Wow. Not Wonder Woman. See, you put that in my head yeah, with yeah, the damn I Wonder just, It's on. It's on uh, recording now, so. It's on recording, so you know. Be my, what my ringtone well, I mean, is. I do like I do like when they had the pl- nah the plane scene. I do like that plane scene a little bit. I will I will sit here and say they look. They, they she figured out she had magic powers. Well, she said she did it with a cup. So uh, she said she made a coffee mug. Show to... don't tell. <laughs> That's what I'm about. So I do world. love I do love this Steve Trevor. Is what no, I'm I think saying. He, I think he's really good. There's a moment where they're doing like they're doing like a shot of everyone kind of going through. Um, and having this, like, taking out uh, ground soldiers. And everyone's, like, using their powers and trying to stop civilians. And then there's a moment where Steve Trevor just picks up an alien gun and just goes ham. Uh, at one point, he has a machine gun, and he is just laying into people. He has no fear. He really he really has that bravery that I guess that might be what attracted Diana to him in the first place. Um, this this Diana, it feels right that she is as war focused as she is, um, considering the time that she was created. Um, with the inclusion of this Earth, of Earth Two, um, I think like like I said, they use Flashpoint in the comics to reboot the continuity. They use Flashpoint in um, Jack, Zack Snyder's Justice League to create an alternate timeline. I think that. They are using, and they use Doomsday Clock to kind of bring everything back around in the JSA as well. I think this film was made to introduce the JSA to the animated universe. I think that that is this film's biggest uh, task and accomplishment that I think it did. I think if you end up seeing this movie, you have a, a greater understanding of the team than if you haven't, I guess. Uh, but with shows like Stargirl trying to bring them to the forefront, the JSA that is, and Black Adam doing the same. There's going to be a lot more people who know about this team moving forward, so that's good. Um, uh, but but this, yeah, this is all Hawkeye needs. Uh, seeing you know Barry 
save innocent people is all Hawkeye needs to determine he isn't working for the Germans. So Barry explains he is from the future. As they argue the legitimacy of his claims, they take on machine gun fire from up above as, Ger- as a German pilot tries to take them out. Fortunately, Steve Trevor is also in the air and uses his skills as an ace pilot to gun down the enemy plane and save the society. Unfortunately, backup arrives for the Nazis and Trevor's uh, plane is gunned down as well. With no one fast enough to save Steve, Barry does his best but feels his speed fading. Jay Garrick pulls up next to him and they both use wind tunnels to safely land Steve's plane. Did you have any instance of uh, figuring out what was going on? Why Barry wasn't couldn't run as fast as he should? I kind of think that that was lazy bullshit writing. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there's no reason why Jerry, uh, Jay Garrick and Barry Allen were literally draining each other of the Speed Force just being in the same you know, vicinity as each other when we have never seen it ever, you know, touched on before. But I don't think we've ever seen him with another speedster from another Earth before. Have we not in life? What about the... uh, Uh, Homeboy was on drugs. Zoom was on drugs. (laughs) Remember? Zoom was pumping himself full of Velocity 9. That was his... What uh, about, didn't they bring a Jay Garrick into the Flash TV show? Uh, Yeah, but he was from another Earth and then he went to another Earth. But they didn't have. But but I'm still saying that they didn't touch on the. Oh, we are draining each other of the speed force. Even in that 30 minute episode, no. it's like, oh, I can't run this fast because you need the speed force. I don't. No, I I I attributed that to their version of the Spider Verse. Your atoms are misaligning, kind of thing. You know, like a back, like a. Well, no, see, a, I can a, go with a that consequence, one. A consequence of the paradox. Yeah, I can know? go with that one because, yeah, yeah, when they all left each of, of their Earths and they went to Miles' Earth, they were literally, like, having seizures. Right, right. So I get it. It's just the way that they, that Jay Garrick – Jay Garrick was the one that explained the Flash the, – the Speed Force to Barry Allen. This is now a Barry Allen that we have to establish does not know what the Speed Force is. Yeah. And Jay's more of a scientist, so I guess that makes sense because Barry's supposed to be a, a forensic uh, scientist. But you get what I mean, like no, yeah, no, no. okay, actual... blood blood spatter specialist is not someone that's gonna like you know m- turn on your heart in a yeah. surgery room. Yeah, I get it, of course. Science yeah. is different science. It's just weird. It's like this doesn't seem like it makes sense that this, if the speed force is like photosynthesis, the way he explained it, there shouldn't be a, a limitation of energy. That, energy should I guess be that energy. Was, that's what was interesting to me is the the I guess illusion that there's a finite amount of it. You know that was something a bit new, but yeah, I'm chalking it up to the different Earths thing. I guess the different Earths thing is how it goes. Yeah. So uh, Diana thanks Barry and com- and commands they head back to their extraction point with Trevor leading the way. On the road, Barry tells Steve he never heard of this team. Trevor explains that they are known as the Justice Society of America or JSA and do their best to keep their feet quiet. They even have a war correspondent on the team that spends all their actions in the papers so as to keep them a secret from their enemies. What do you think about that, Little Wrinkle? Honestly, I... Controlling the press. It was really going... A lot of that was going over my head. A lot of them, like, like, little small details. It was like, it wasn't mattering in, like, the grand scheme of things. You were still looking for the plot? Yeah. (laughs) Really, I was looking for what was going on. It's like, okay... Brainiac comes, shoots a bullet. Barry Allen grabs it. Now he's on into the past. What? What? Where? What is going on? Like, how are we gonna get this man back into the past? Is him and Jay Garrick gonna have to run together? Like, I was just so focused on what was going on that anything that actually was going on, I wasn't catching. 
<laughs> and then when when things get revealed, it's like reporter, duh. Yeah. But... What do you, what do you think overall about the idea of having like a PR person for a super team? <laughs> it was you know what it was? It was very the boys. Yeah. It was very much the boys. It was yeah, we have a we have this guy that's going to write all of the stories of what of what happens in war, but he's going to literally leave out the fact that a man with the wings came crumbling down and saved us. No, yeah. it was the allied forces, not the man with the metal helmet and all of that stuff. Right. Right. It was pretty fun. It was. I guess it's your word versus <laughs> theirs, right? Who's going to believe the big immortal hawk monster? Hey, man, a dying man knows what he sees. Hawkeye takes... Hawkeye. I literally put Hawkeye. Hawkman takes to the skies, <laughs> disabling many enemy planes while Diana, Rex, Jay, and Dinah take on the army on foot using their powers. When they get to the extraction point, we meet Shakespeare, who Barry thinks looks familiar. Uh, did you have anything on that? Or you were just like, Barry just thinks he looks familiar? Yeah. I don't really have anything on that. Did you? No. Did, you weren't questioning who that could be? What, what, the Shakespeare? Yeah. No. Yeah. I really wasn't questioning Shakespeare at all. So, which which in turn made it better for when it does get revealed who Shakespeare was. Because yeah. that's why I hit up that group chat. Because I, I was live tweeting it on the group chat. Yeah. That's why I hit up, yo, what the hell is this? I'm like, I'm literally like, damn, that was good. That was good. So, and they even made, the thing is, they made Superman look French. Oh, because of the mustache? No, no, no. I guess I, I guess that's where you would go for it. But I don't know why. I see very uh, animated French features. Like if you've seen yeah. any, like if you've seen animated French movies, they have this very, uh, like this. Uh, how do I put the jawline? It's like a U. Queer. It's like a UV jawline. It's like yeah. it's half U, half V. Like it's it's this very boxed ish type of squared jawline. Their head just like comes up in like a ninety degree angle, and their hair is very John Hamm in Mad Men. So like, Superman's face looked like a fifty year old Frenchman. <laughs> he looked like his name was Jean Valjean or something like that. Like, his ass is lying. No, he was a whole whole liar. He was uh, a complete liar. Shakespeare remarks that it's going to be hard to use the giant bird excuse for those who saw Hawkman because they've used it twice. So when the woman tells him to blame. Uh, Carter's actions on an experimental prototype, which reminded me of the Iron Man field exercise uh, excuse. Re- realizing he could nev- that he never introduced himself, Barry tells them that he's the Flash, but seeing as they already have one, they end up calling him Future Boy. Suddenly, Steve proposes to Diana, who simply says, good attempt, and walks away. Turns out, Trevor proposes every day, and Diana denies him every day. This doesn't seem like odd behavior to Steve because, according to him, Diana said she'll say yes when it's time, which makes every other day worth it to him. That's a bit romantic, huh? Yeah. No, that's kind of creepy. Were you? Were you? How'd you feel about like Wonder Woman constantly like tongue lashing this man while he's trying to propose? Honestly, this was a very much I don't give a damn, Diana. This was like if, but did this make you? This is a like poli- her as a character. Or Honestly, what? I actually didn't like Diana that much in this movie. Like, I okay. like I liked some of her, but a lot of her was getting a little bit too annoying. I felt like this was Hippolyta's greatest creation. Yeah, this was a Diana that completely listened to and obeyed and followed Hippolyta. Yeah, this isn't Patty Jenkins' Diana, and truly, Patty Jenkins' Diana is my Diana. 
Okay. I it, that is my standard. That's my gauge for Wonder Woman for now on. And one of the closest one was Justice League War. Justice League War is the closest I get to my established Diana Prince. Right. Which in turn is based on the New Fifty Two version. I think the reason why I kind of dig this Diana uh, is one because I know this is not the Diana. They are eventually going to go back to Earth One, and I think that universe is going to continue, and we will be introduced to a version of Wonder Woman. But uh, yeah, I think with two Earths, you have a lot of space to freaking um, have all kinds of versions of this character. So I'm glad we have a different one. But but the next. Oh, sorry. At JSA HQ, Diana shows frustration with the ongoing war, and Black Canary suggests Barry use time travel to alter the past, with Gar- which Garrick is strongly against, mentioning the effect would create a paradox. Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor argue about whether humans should be involved in this war to begin with, but Trevor gets the last word, saying that if this is how he dies, winning this war, it will be for something he be- believes in. The next mission is to stop the Germans from finding a game-changing artifact by getting some info translated by a mysterious codebreaker. They vote, put Barry on their team, and make their way. That night, they infiltrate a Nazi stronghold, and it is revealed that Jay Garrick's powers have been malfunctioning since Barry arrived. Jay uses as much speed as he can to get him and our man out of a tough, out of a rough situation. Elsewhere, Canary and Hawkman have a conversation about death and their status as an undercover team, possibly being erased from history. Carter advises uh, she find her other half. Yeah, I think what was going on here was Canary was depressed at the fact that Barry didn't know what the JSA was. Yeah, that, that was still, a big that was a big thing. Yeah, they were all they were all still under the assumption that he's from the same Earth, just in the future. No, oh, yeah, because she even kept calling him Future Boy, even when they already established. That he's not from their future. She Universe kept Boy him. doesn't roll off the tongue. As, I guess Earth as 2 well. Boy doesn't sound cool. <laughs> or, or, yeah, and he wouldn't call it Earth 2. <laughs> so. And they wouldn't call it Earth 1. Yeah, so yep, yep, they, I guess yep. Future Boy just man, Just call the goddamn man and Barry. It's like, it's like, come on, man. Show some respect and call him his name. And Barry. So, yeah. Shakespeare finds a captive who seemingly hands him a Superman outfit in packing. Uh, in packaging and speaks vaguely. I don't know who this guy is. Who is this person? How did he get the outfit? None of this is explained. I looked through the Wikipedia. I watched it twice. I have no idea who this man is supposed to be and where he got. Oh, this that outfit prisoner from. or whatever yeah. that was just chilling. It made it seem like he was sent by Doctor Fate. Um, I think he might have been. But then why would Dr. Fate let himself and that other guy get captured and tortured by the Nazis behind weird. enemy lines waiting for the JS- waiting for Barry to find the JSA, waiting for the JSA to reluctantly allow Barry into his – there was a lot of yeah. what-ifs and series of unfortunate events that would have left for Dr. Fate to just literally give Superman the goddamn suit himself and say, save the world. Yeah. I guess as, as his name implies, he is aware of, of multiple fates. Um, so that might be what happened there. Uh, suddenly Nazis show up and shoot at Shakespeare who takes no damage. Luckily, Diana and Barry take down the goons, even though Diana seems betrayed by Shakespeare. Hawkman, Hourman, Black Canary, and Jay Garrick find the Codebreaker, and it's this Earth's version of Dr. Fate, complete with the helmet of Naboo. 
He is shackled, malnourished, and spouting gibberish until they give him the code to break. He holds it in his hand before emitting blinding energy from his eyes. Back with Shakespeare, Diana demands to know his secret, and he says his name is Clark Kent and that he has tough skin. Barry recognized that name as his Earth Superman, uh, someone this Clark knows nothing about. When this Clark tells Barry that his parents died when he was three, it confirms that Barry is not only in the past, but on a different Earth entirely. This Clark is not only not heroic, but is only helping them to get an exclusive story for the paper and abandons them where they are. What do you think of 18th, the 18th version of a slightly not heroic Superman? Uh, God damn, how do, I, how do I put this? This was a very, very, very... Alright, this is the perfect way to put this. This is the most cynical version of Superman I have ever seen. And okay. that's not a good thing coming from me. Okay. And you know how I am with it. So if I'm telling you this is the most cynical version of Superman I've ever encountered... This is the most ver- cynical version. Anybody fans, I'm, I'll give you my email. You want to point me in the direction of a more cynical Superman that literally said, my parents died when they when I was a kid. I got sent to an orphan. I learned the hard way that you're on your own in this world and no one's going to ever help you. Yeah. <laughs> and then for, for like half of the movie, he's gone. <laughs> Yeah, I actually didn't think he was going to come back. I kind of forgot about him. For, for, so did I. I thought that they were going to do that. Yeah. I thought this was going to be a fucking ju- a, a Justice League type of movie with no Batman, no Superman, no Green Lantern, no Martian Man. Like, they had elements to those characteristics and those personality traits. But I didn't think that we were going to get a, su- a Superman in this movie. My yeah. man literally said, nah, bro. Y'all on your own. I grew up in an orphanage. I know how it is. Life sucks. Get a helmet. Hits him yeah, on the head. I guess like... he was gonna. Um, I guess he was gonna sell them out. I guess he was gonna print this whole story. Yeah, sell everything at the end of the day. My man was ready to. My man was ready to sell them down the river. Uh. So yeah. Um. Wonder Woman and Barry meet up with the rest of the coat with the rest of them and the Codebreaker, who Barry recognizes as the figure he saw in the Speed Force before ending up here. He asks the man how he can get back to his earth, and all he says is he still has a task to complete and a lesson to learn before showing them the code they gave. The code that they gave him was coordinates to the Bermuda Triangle, aka where the Nazis intend to go next. Steve manages to get his hands on a submarine, and they head towards the Bermuda Triangle. On their way, they are attacked by enemy subs, which Wonder Woman responds to by volunteering to be an Amazonian torpedo, taking out several enemy ships in the process. Diana was incredibly badass. In, in no, the- that torpedo scene was amazing. Yeah. And she demanded Steve shoot her into, you know, shoot her into everyone else. So I think that was pretty uh, interesting, too. I always dig on when um, when you can show those different sides there like that. No, 100%. So, Flash helps on board with repairs to the ship, and he and Jay Garrick started again by using their power of electricity. Were you surprised that Jay Garrick didn't know how to do that? Yes. Uh, no, no, no. Am I surprised? No. The reason why I'm not surprised is because, one, it's the time. They're in the 1940s. The You know, we're, we're literally not even, I would say, 60 years removed from... Einstein discovering or creating the electric company and all that yeah, shit. Yeah. You know, like, like, you know, if, in 1942, we were only 80 years removed from a lot of the 
biggest technological advances yeah. of our days. Hell, Flash had to teach him how to spin his arms fast enough to make a tornado. Yeah. So, yes, I definitely believe this is a Garrick. This is a time where Jay Garrick wouldn't know what uh, – what, How to generate – How to generate electric – which also kind of doesn't make sense because how do you know what the speed force is and photosynthesis and energy if you don't know how to take your energy? Because energy burns into – you burn things into energy. I guess I would say – and again, it's me you know, um, making the excuses or whatever – but I'd say that um, uh, Barry knows more because, like you said, the um, advancements in technology. Uh, and it's just about different strokes. So Barry never thought that Speed Force had a limit. So I could see him doing things. Like if Garrick thought it did, I could see Garrick not necessarily trying tricks. Right? Yes. Because if he thinks that this it has a finite amount of energy, he ain't going to go out there. And and one the whole thing, you know? No, of course, of course. So that that might also be it. But we're, again, we're we're writing our own uh, canon here. So well, I guess it's just the way you interpret things, because because a lot of it was yeah, one has knowledge of their powers versus one has knowledge of what their powers can do. Yeah. So G- Garrick knows his powers, and it's like Barry knows what his powers can do. Yeah. Um, though seemingly outnumbered, Diana is saved by an army of Aquaman who bring her and her crew to Atlantis and before their king's advisor. So this is around the time where I decided to take a break, get dinner, and uh, get into some recreational activities. Yeah, this is this this is kind of honestly for me where it kind of drags a bit. I'm not gonna front like the next twenty minutes was like, okay, can we like you know move it up a bit? All right, just a little bit. So. The advisor brings them to his king, who we know as Arthur Curry the Aquaman, and Diana explains to the king that they must stop the Nazi threat before they complete their takeover, which would surely include Atlantis. Is this advisor supposed to be William Defoe's role? I don't know. Because they had kind of like the same outfit. He's uh, Volko, who you're, who you're speaking of. Yeah. Um, he's always been the advisor to the throne. I don't know why they wouldn't just call him by his name. In the credits and everything, he is the advisor. Well, I that's think because it's he's not Volko, actually. But he looks exactly like him. No, that's that is my role. problem. But also, is Vol- Volko is Atlantean, right? Yeah. This guy was a, this guy was a pirate. He's a human. Yeah. So that's what it is. It's like they made. It's like they, and that's why Earth. You know, Earth Two, Earth One, whatever you want to call it. Another Earth's Volko is an at drift pirate that was at sea, found by the Atlanteans. But Adopted it's like his stuff, face. Yeah. Was very William Defoe-ish. His hair was slick back. He had like the the brown and black, like with the lines. Like his, he was very Volko. Yeah, but he wasn't. So I'm sitting here. I'm like, what the heck is all this about? What's going on? Um, Arthur, no, this was Arthur seems it was pointless. Annoyed. Honestly, Arthur seems annoyed, if not slightly sympathetic, before the advisor whispers something in his ear. And I'm sitting here and I'm watching this thing, and I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? Arthur then leads them into a trap. As the advisor informs them that they are too late. And I look up at the screen and Aquaman says, Heil Hitler. <laughs> and I yeah, go, yeah. And I go, wait, what the fuck? What is going on? Where did on we here? go? Where, how did we get here? And then instantly I remember you saying early on, because you saw this film before me, that this had like echoes of Flashpoint. This is another echo where it puts Wonder Woman in direct, you know, opposition of Aquaman. Which was, um, you know, what happened. But the then they, conference. but this is where my frustrations come is they sleep, the, they sweep the leg because they do this scene. You get the Heil Hitler from Aquaman and then like 
Five seconds later, this dude is having a change of heart. Like, oh, but they they seemed true. Why did I do that? They seemed yeah. good. Why am I like? It's like, bro, if that's the case, bitch slap your advisor and and join your new friends. But I, I guess you you know, movies got a movie runtime has got a runtime. Yeah. Because by this point, we're still literally. I looked at the time. Eighteen minutes left of the movie. Yeah. By this point, by the time they got. Taken into Atlantis, you're at like 20 minutes left you're of this movie. For the, third, for the third act, definitely. Yeah, that was the ending of the second act, and now we're in third act territory. It's like, wait, how did we get? How is it for the first 50 minutes? It's all of this setup. Yeah. 50 minutes is this entire setup, and then by the time you get to the, the ocean and Atlantis, it's like another 20, 30 minutes, and then bam. Last 10 minutes of the movie. It's like, whoa. Whoa, we didn't even meet Hitler yet. No, we we don't even know who the bad guy is of this yet. No. There is no bad They're guy. faceless Nazis. Yeah, that's it. It's just good guys got to fight Nazis. It's yeah. like, And then they tried making the advisor like the last second bad guy by making but he Arthur. he gets hit once and then he's it's <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> he doesn't have any special powers or You guys were doing so good. Like I said, if I don't think about this movie and I just watched it, if I speak from my initial reaction of the movie before having to go back and watch it for the notes. Yeah. Oh, this movie's fantastic. But then when you're going back and you're like questioning, like, wait a minute, why didn't you just do this and do that and do this? It's it's like every other movie. Yeah. It's every movie. Every movie can be good to you. But once you start thinking about it and then you start picturing. Yeah, they call that and- fridge lot, fridge movies. Because you watch the movie, you enjoy it, and then while you go to the fridge to make a sandwich or pour yourself some water, you go, hey, wait a minute, that didn't make a, hun- a whole lot of sense there. And that's what, and then, like, literally right, right now, while we're talking on the podcast, I'm literally questioning, but wait a minute, why did he do that if he did that? And then there's the trench, and it's, but then the, that made no sense. No. But it turns out that the advisor has been controlling Aquaman, making him side with the Nazis so as to ignite war that would hopefully kill all earth dwellers but that's also another makes no sense so they never established that he had powers they just made it oh he has powers now right and the thing is to my knowledge and again i have very little of this knowledge i don't remember Voko ever having any kind of power like that so i was wondering if they were trying to make him somebody else if he was going to be revealed to be some kind of magic user at the end or something yeah i think but the thing no. is we just have to not see him as Voko. He's because th- he like his, well, he's the advisor. He's the he's he as he is the advisor, but he's literally like you said, he's credited as the advisor. Yeah, as much as he looks if you like. Type him, in advisor DC Comics, vocal comes up. That's okay. Like uh, if you type in advisor to uh, Arthur Curry, no, just advisor, just DC advisor DC. Try, try it while I while I uh, go ahead finish this here. Um, yeah, so he wants to make a war on Earth so that all the Earthlings kill each other in this war and then um the the sea can take over, I guess. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. You type in advisor DC comics, you get Nudius Volko. Yep. Yep. So and, but the only people that that have been that he's been played by is William Defoe and Peter Jessup. I don't remember when Peter Jessup played him. Uh Justice I'm guessing this was Justice League something. You, I will, I'll tell you right now. Okay. He was, um, oh, uh, JLA Adventures Trapped in Time, Batman Arkham Asylum as Watch Commander. Oh, he was, oh, he was Superman in a lot, in one of the direct, Flashpoint Paradox. He was Dr. Volko in in Flashpoint Paradox. Okay. He was Salak, Salak in in Green Lantern Emerald Knights, and he was Thorak in Justice League versus Fatal Five. Okay. 
and watch got... Commander in Arkham Asylum and uh, Dark Knight Assault on Arkham. Okay, so he has his bona fides as well. And he was Stephen Wolf in Justice League Action, and I Justice guess a television League show, Action. and then video games, nothing in. Oh no, Justice League Heroes as Brainiac. So he's he's a D. The Peter Jessup is a DC voice actor. Okay. Uh, bu- 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 yeah, uh, it's also revealed that they are the ones who placed the code as a trap, ho- hoping to trap trap the JSA. After teaching Jay how to use electricity to spark the sub's engines, Garrick shows Barry how to vibrate and phrase through the floor with his help. This this, hap- this is another funny scene for me. He crash lands and takes down several guards. One of the guards, he's like, um, tell me what your master is. And he's like, I will never betray my king. And Flash punches him in the face like a hundred times in like a 30 seconds. I surrender. That was hilarious. And yeah, he was so literally like, in the middle of saying it, too. Yeah. And I got was scared for a second. No, wait, wait. He's on Earth. Don't break it. He's on land. Don't break his helmet. Don't break his helmet. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Barry gives him about a Oh, no. Punches. All right. We have to talk about the phasing through the floor. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool, though it made no damn sense for me for a second. What? Not the phasing through the objects. It's like there is no way that Jay Garrick is is um vibrating himself at the same speed that Flash is, and both those motherfuckers then go right through that floor together. Yeah, it's a whole thing because that's the only thing I wanted. I wanted both of them to go through the I floor guess, together. I guess, I guess, well, he pushed them. Remember, he kind of no, like shoves hold, him. Yeah, but he's holding on to him, and uh, you know, velocity like that, like momentum like that. I was surprised he didn't go they through. Both I thought they both should have went... were meant to both go through, but I guess he just kind of like, as he does at the end of his film, kind of like push him along the the route, if you will. Yeah, that was that's that's another thing. It's like they they really like, I don't want to say they neutered Jay Garrick, but they really made Jay Garrick just there to be like the training wheels for Flash. Yeah, and but I guess the question is, without him and that and those training wheels, when will, when does he ever learn? I guess you could just give him all the knowledge up front, and no one's really gonna question it. But I do like that that now we can tie it to something because if this Flash ends up doing any of this stuff in the next DC. Uh, you know, animated universe movie, then we have, we can tie it all back to here, which is pretty interesting. Hi, Hitler. So, Flash manages to free the society. After an interrogation, Batman finds out, Batman, Barry finds out that the Nazis and the Atlanteans are planning to attack the northern seaboard while Aquaman unleashes creatures from the trench to aid them. So, they decide to split up. Diana and Barry head to the trench while the rest go to New York to stop the invasion. The advisor uses his influence on Arthur to open the gates of the trench and the horrors inside. Barry and Diana arrive to stop them, and for a few moments, Arthur gains consciousness and seems ashamed of his actions before falling under the advisor's control again. Uh, I like that there's a scene of him kind of coming to, and as soon as he's in control, uh, Diana punches him in the face. So, not great. Yeah. As the enemy shows up on the shores of New York, the rest of the society join the fight and they take down the enemy army on foot. Steve Trevor mans one of the Atlantean tanks and provides backup as the trench creatures arrive um, along with Arthur and the advisor atop of a kraken. The ground team does his best to keep the civilians away from the war zone while Canary and Hawkman try to neutralize the sea monster. Our man is shot. <laughs> They're yep. gonna kill my boy Our Man like a dog in the street. Did you see that? Bro, they don't they didn't care about it. They're gonna Our surround man. him and shoot him executioner style. But um your boy Steve helped him helped him out. But yeah, they were gonna kill that man. 
Um, Carter saves Diana when she is knocked out of the sky but is impaled by a trench creature and dies after making Diana promise not to give up on life or love, with the latter being the only thing worth living for. Were you teary-eyed in that moment? None, nothing in this movie had me teary-eyed, honestly. That there wasn't enough. No one, no one earned it was short. any of it. It was pretty short. Like Steve Trevor didn't earn it. I'm like, okay, I see this coming from a mile away. Well, he said something along the lines like, "Like you better marry me before I like, die" or something like that. He no. kept kind of putting. No, he it kept foreshadowing his own death in a sense. I was yeah. like, yeah, I see. I literally saw Steve Trevor's death coming a mile away. I thought our man died. I thought he was going to succumb to his gut shot, but uh, I guess he's more powerful than I believe. Yeah. I do like uh, that Diana, Di- Dinah ends up unleashing after the death of Hawkman. I feel like ever since Wanda lost Quicksilver in Age of Ultron, that that's kind of becoming like this trope where a chick loses a man in her life that was very important and then they just have this one moment where they just unleash. Yeah. And then it's always like this short-lived moment where somebody else comes in and just gets them and knocks them down for a peg or it's just cut and you just never see them unleash for the rest of their like it's 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 the age of ultron it's the fucking it's the the end game it's just i've seen it so many times where somebody loses someone close to them it doesn't have to be a girl losing a guy it doesn't have to be a guy losing a girl it could be uh, i don't know asexual losing a gender nonconforming lover i don't right. you know like i've i've read sex criminals you know we're vast yeah. So it could be anybody losing someone close to who they love. I'm tired of seeing that freak out spur of powers because I don't feel that that is real. I don't feel like if I lost you in this moment right now, I'm not going to fucking and but rage. If lost, but if you lost me in a fight, if it was me and you, we're drinking at a bar, four guys come up, they start trouble. We're fighting the four guys. I get stabbed. I die in the bar. I think you'd flip out. Oh, I, I would, I would totally flip out, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, win. No, but you don't, you don't have a cosmic scream or size, uh, sonic scream either. Though. That, that's true. It's, like, it's in those moments, you know, like you know, feelings trump logic, and you know, you need to. That's why disciplined fighters always win against people that just go in all willy nilly. Right. You know, I'm my undisciplined ass will get knocked in the back of the head with a beer bottle. While I'm taking care of the one guy that I know did the clobbing blow. Yeah. But I still got two people to, to, you know, like, so it's like, I always see it like that. Maybe I'm not strong enough or smart enough. Maybe I'm projecting too much. <laughs> uh, but I did love that she, that we finally got to see. We don't get enough Dinah Lance being Dinah Lance yeah. unless it's the Justice League Unlimited cartoon. Yeah, they ruined her in home. And she's a League member. You know, she's a JSA member. She like, literally she is. Um, I thought it was weird that she screamed so loud that she took his skin off, but like none of the buildings around fell. Those buildings shouldn't even fall. Those buildings should have literally blown away in the wind <laughs> if that was the case. I also thought she died when she fainted. I thought she died. I was like, okay, so everyone's just going to die in this because Carter was already died. I, our man had gotten shot. She falls down after doing all this. I'm like, oh, okay. So Wait, that all, was a, Yeah, there was a lot of those moments die. where you're thinking, well, because to us, to the audience, this is Earth 2. Yeah. At the end of the day, this is they are always going to be Earth Two to the audience. Yeah. Which sucks because now it it it, it cuts the importance away from them. Yeah. Because they don't see 
their cells is Earth 2. They see their cells as Earth 1, but they're dying. They have consequences. They're still in the 1940s, and we're here, like, reading about Hitler in school. Yeah. And it, it sucks. There was a lot of... They were trying to do that um, emotional pull from you in this movie. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's what Flashpoint did do better a little bit with the emotional pulls. Like, there was a lot of moments in Flashpoint where I'm like, oh, God, I feel dirty. Like, yeah. Batman dying and his parents becoming Batman and the Joker. I'm like, oh, I, I feel guess, dirty. I guess that's because we're familiar with that, right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I wonder, like, uh, how a diehard JSA fan feels about this. You know, someone who had a little bit more uh, stake in It'd the probably game be how John hates Flashpoint. This would probably be, like, a kryptonite to someone that's a JSA fan. Well, if you guys are JSA fans, write in. Let us know what yes, you think. Yes, email of, us. Uh, Let us know. But we are in its final act. So Jay evades a different creature and steals many Atlantean explosives and places them in its mouth, killing it from the inside. That was one of the most metal deaths I saw. You just see these grenades blowing up inside this creature, and then it just vomits its own blood, I'm assuming, until it dies. It was crazy. Meanwhile, Barry and, Di- and Diana sneak up on Aquaman. When Aquaman has Diana pinned, Steve Trevor, Steve Trevor drives a car into him. When he shrugs that off, Trevor rains gunfire onto him, but it does nothing to Aquaman. He goes to kill Trevor, but Wonder Woman intervenes. She has everything under control until Aquaman tries to get control of his staff, which Wonder Woman promptly breaks. Suddenly, Aquaman sees the area of his ways and flees the scene with his kaiju. That was the ending of Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Right? Uh, Basically... Sandman figures out the errors of his ways and it's like, my bad, and he just disappears. Um, I thought the Kraken was going to eat him because it just grabs him, but they just, they head home together. So I guess that's good. The advisor shows up and picks up the top piece of the trident while informing Steve that this is far from over, pointing at a legion of Nazi ships en route to their location. While Trevor stands in shock, the advisor impales him with the trident. Flash incapacitates the advisor soon, and the team watch the impending fleet coming their way. Suddenly, a figure is shown blowing up the air armada one by one, and it is revealed to be Shakespeare using the Superman moniker. No pop? No. No. There was a lot. The, the, you know what the thing was? I was, I was, this was the first time where I'm like, damn, I only want Barry in the spotlight. Okay. This was the first, like, I actually, not the first, how do I put it? Because I'm doing a lot of comparing this to Flashpoint, and it's like, between this and Flashpoint, there was more moments that felt like Barry earned to be in the spotlight. Like, okay, for instance, he comes into the past, or into Earth 2's past, and it's like, holy crap, where am I, where am I? Now he's being uh, stopped by Wonder Woman and being stopped by uh, Diana, and yeah. uh, uh, Dinah, and you know, no one's believing him that he's a hero. He doesn't even know who Steve Trevor is through a hole in the wall. Right. And he's like, huh, those wings, that velocity, the trajectory. He's not going to save him. I can do it. And he just, boom, saves him. Like, there was a lot of hero moments with Barry. This felt like an established Barry. Well, yeah, he kind of had to show that he was on their side. Like the only, like you said, when he takes out the Nazis that are trying to kill innocent people and stuff. I, um, I think they did a good job putting him on that straight and narrow. But you're right. Uh, this Almost the same exact thing happens in Flashpoint, no? Superman shows up in his skinny suit or whatever, and and saves the day. 
So Superman makes quick work of the fleet before introducing himself as Clark, saying he couldn't sit on the sidelines any longer. Diana hears Steve's pained voice and rushes towards him, even though there is no saving him. With his last breath, he attempts to propose again, but dies before he can lift his hand to, uh, to hand her the ring. Wonder Woman mourns. No tears? No, because once again, a lot of the stuff, it's like you knew it was going to happen. You knew Barry was, uh, not Barry, you knew Steve Trevor was going to die. There was no way he wasn't going to die. They kept, they kept putting on, on it. Like, they, like, all right. Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor had a lot of the romantic love story spotlight that we couldn't get between Iris and Barry. Mm-hmm. That you literally only get in the opening of the movie and the ending of the movie. And that got more of, a, of an emotion out of me than than this. Like, oh my God. He, like, you know, this girl really loves Barry. And he's, and he's just... You know what it reminded me? It reminded me of that picnic scene from Invincible. Okay. Where the the Russian dude with the Russian speedster was with his girlfriend, and he would literally zoom zoom. He rescued like an entire burning building in the time that it took her to say A to A and B. Like yeah, like that's what it felt like to me. And like there was a, I, I wanted more of that. I like, I like the extra touch of her not being able to say yes. I feel like a a weaker film would have kept him alive for her to say yes. Um, but there's a lesson to be learned here about not missing opportunities with loved ones. So they made it a point to say that she couldn't even he couldn't even hand her the ring. They didn't even get to that point. But she could have had that ring and him her uh, him as a husband if she would have said yes earlier. But she was more focused on war than um love in her life, which is the same thing that Carter Hall tells Black Canary. Diana thanks Barry for everything and gives him Steve's ring, warning him not to make the same mistake she did. He has to cherish his opportunities with his loved ones and not lose sight of what counts. Using their combined speed force energy, Jay helps Barry get back to his time and right before he intercepts the bullet, using his momentum to throw it back at Brainiac, killing him. That was a bit much. <laughs> that was a bit metal. When he tosses the, the bullet at Brainiac and it just blows his ass up. Yeah. Oh, no, it didn't blow it up. He shot him in the head. That's what I'm saying. Like, like his head blew Like, his head had a big noticeable dent in it oh yeah definitely uh, i've never seen somebody run at a bullet grab it and then toss it back in the opposite no that was that was so great is because past barry went to grab the bullet and future uh future barry comes and grabs it and but where did past barry go i think he goes back in time but i thought so the bullet had nothing to do with dr fate pulling him back back to another to another earth no i think in, in That's being my in problem. the speed force, I think in being in the speed force, Dr. Fate was able to contact him and tell him to keep running so that he would eventually end up on Earth 2. But I don't think Dr. Fate uh, was planning on on all of that, on all of it. Because again, if he doesn't grab the bullet, then it is what it is. Um, yes. Superman seems impressed, saying it was nice working with him. Barry implores Superman to stick with other heroes so as to fight for truth, justice, Truth and Justice, seemingly giving Superman the idea for the Justice League. Back on his date, Barry tells Iris he was gone for a week, even though it felt like longer. Which kind of reminded me of that Flash episode where he goes to Supergirl. Yeah, World's Finest. Where I yeah. Where pops in and pops out. Yeah, gone for a week, but she was only a couple minutes maybe with her. What do you think about Iris in this? Yo, my girl was hot in this. I don't care. Iris was hot. 
Do you think she has any claim to the things that she's saying? Oh, one hundred percent. Because if you know pu- public and if you know Barry, and not just Barry, but if you know superheroism like that, she one hundred percent has a little bit of of rightness there. Yeah. But it's also like you know what you're signing up for. It's like anybody that dates a superhero, it's like dating any anybody that dates a superhero is like dating a cop, but to a, a, a more extreme. Yeah. You know what you're signing up for every time you're making your husband or wife breakfast and they're literally strapping a gun to their waist. Right. You know the risks. You know the rewards. You know what's going to happen. You're actively making the decision to, I don't know if the door is going to open and it's going to be my husband or if the door is going to ring and it's going to be my husband's two partners. Yeah. You you don't know. She has claimed because she has emotions and we're human and we love, and we're scared, and we worry. He also said. She also said they've been doing that for a while, right? Yeah, I think this is this has been a, a while for them. They've been dating for a couple of years. Um, so I I am so dumb. So he 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 gets like an alert to go save somebody, right? That's what happens. And she's like, okay, yeah, go do what you got to do. And then he reaches out his hand. I thought he was gonna take her with him. I thought that I thought that arc was gonna end with wherever I'm going, you're going. You know. Uh, but instead, he proposes using a dead man's ring. Yeah, which is kind of weird because it's like she he can't he can't explain how he got it, or maybe that there is a romantic story there. I don't know, but um, yeah. Uh, he takes a moment to tell Iris how special she is to him before getting on one knee and proposing. Iris says yes and puts on the dead man's ring, and we fade to black. Fade to black. So, um, the Justice League, I guess, is going to form in a much different way. Uh, you know, in this new DC animated universe. And I do believe we will see an, an, another crossover where we will meet these characters again. I hope you get a sequel to this. If if the, we do get a sequel, uh, or, like, let's say we get a sequel, but the sequel takes place in present day on Earth 2, you know? Or present day Earth 2ers go to Earth 1. Which members of the JSA would you like to see included? In the JSA, I want Doctor Midnight, but I want Beth Chapel, Doctor Midnight. I want my Star Girl cast yeah. on a lot. That, that's, no, that is literally that's what I want. I want my Star Girl cast as live act, not live as uh, animated JSA members. I want, I, I want you know Beth. I want Yolanda Watson. I, I want them all. I want Stripes. Hell, give me a little Mike. Give me a little Mike running people over in cars. Like oh, I'll yeah. take, I'll take it all. Just give me my Stargo cast as an animated movie cast, right? Please. We already have had uh, Yolanda Watson and the original Wildcat in the Justice League Unlimited. We've had Stars and Stripes in the Justice League Unlimited. Now we have Rex Tyler in this movie. Like, come on, just yeah. They get... did Doctor Midnight in, I want to say Legends of Tomorrow. I uh, think so. Star Girl and all that stuff. So there's more room for all those characters. I want the Spectre. I just think he's badass. He's like a weird ghost man. Um, I, I like him. And I want to see Alan Scott. I think more people need to be introduced to that Green Lantern. Oh, 100%. I, I feel like we would like, like the J, like uh, Star Girl did a lot of the, oh, who are these people? Let me go and do my Wikipedia research. If you cared enough. Yeah. Me, I cared enough to go to, to see what the hell is that creepy pen oh, or whatever. Pink one? Yeah, and apparently it's like a demon that like lives in there or whatever. Yeah, was it? It was was like a genie that lives in there or something like that. You know, like I want to know who the who the Calypso. Well, that's why I looked up to see if I could find out who the hell gave Superman his outfit in this, and nothing nothing is there. So that tells me that all of this 
will play out in future installments. Definitely. Um, but it's a bold move if you're starting a universe to establish already another Earth. Yeah, but I feel like th- there's enough of what ifs here to want to bring people back. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like they would, like if they do, like a Justice Society, like a JS, like a JSA into the future or something like that. Like I'm saying, present day Earth two JSA, like Earth two on an Earth one in present day. Like we we meet, yeah. we have Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. They meet. show up to Earth one and they're like. We're here to find Barry Allen. He helped my great grandfather, you know. And what was uh, that um Justice League movie where it was like the crime syndicate that came to Earth One and the Crisis on Two Earths? Give yeah. me something like that, but not with the actual bad guys of another Earth. Yeah. Give me like the JSA coming onto Earth One because Brainiac brought them there, you know, like, and they think that they're bad guys and they think that they're good guys like now that I think about it I don't think there's an uh, like a uh, an animated equivalent to Crisis on Infinite Earths maybe that's what they're building up to maybe they're gonna say I would love to Earths see something like that autom- uh, it's one of their biggest stories I believe and it's probably the, the only biggest, one that's never been animated I feel like it's the first big crossover comic story um and so that might be what they're ramping up for. My God, in 40 years, that would be their first big cr- – because, like, comics started existing in, like, what, 32 like, – let's say 35. Uh, 38. Okay, let's say 38 mm-hmm. to 88. You're telling me 85. that – 85. You're yeah. telling me that in, like, nearly 50 years and 40 – like, not one no, crossover? Not. Crossovers individually, Flash with Flash, like we just talked about. No, but I mean, like, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, not no. on a Justice League. Like, it would a, probably be called uh, in its own title or something. That's you know? what I'm saying, like, but, like, a bat, a... like you're reading a you're reading Batman issue number 23, and all of a sudden, Superman makes a cameo appearance in here. And... That will happen, yeah, but not, like, this is an event that we need everybody oh, okay. on board for, and that's going to affect everyone's history. Oh, yeah, no, because this literally changed the continuity for, like, forever. Yeah. It's it's been forty years. It changed the continuity forever. So yeah, I think that the reason why this film exists is to familiarize us with the Justice Society, and kind of show us that they're not going anywhere because they're not. They're like I said, they're going to be in Black Adam. They're going to be in. Um, they're already in Star Girl. They were. That's what. That's what it is. I think that that was our first live action JSA, which is another reason why people you got to get on Star Girl. Jeff Johns, who obviously created Stargirl and is very close to that property, also wrote several um, JSA comics. And I heard that those are very, very... Um, oh, no, if it's the JSA from, like, the early 2000s, like a 2003... Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I read With a couple... Alex of, Ross covers. Ooh, Finn, yeah. I read I read a couple of them because I felt, when I fell in love with Stargirl, they're really good, actually. They're stuff that I would want us to get into. Okay. Like a, two, like a 2003 JSA, fantastic. Because those are that's the point where... Star the Star Spangled Kid becomes Star Girl, yes, because she is the Star Spangled Kid for a while, and she her superpowers is her belt shoots stars and stripes at people. Stars Seriously, it's like manifested stars and stripes. I got to show you the panel. It's like she literally touches her her belt buckle and she's shooting stars <laughs> at people. How American! And then and like around like two thousand like one or two thousand three, one of those in that time frame, she gets. The cosmic staff from Sylvester Pemberton, and it's like, oh snap, this is cool. Seeing her go from the Star Spangled Kid two to her own superhero Star Girl, it's a worth a read. Yeah, it maybe, is one hundred percent worth maybe a read. Be the protagonist in the in the next thing, you know, uh, considering her her stock is growing with that show, so that's that's good too. But speaking about stock growing, our stock 
the combo click stock is always growing. Each and every week, we try to provide you guys with cool content free of charge as part of the Major Issues podcast. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. We have over 175 episodes in the can already. Uh, and all of them are available at comicbookclick.com. Comicbookclick.com is all, also your one stop for everything comic book click. That's merchandise designed by us, about us, articles written by guys like GT Rebirth and Dan the Comic Man. Um, and even myself. It's everything that we are is on comicbookclick.com. But if you already have a podcast app and don't want to go to comicbookclick.com to listen to the Major Issues podcast, we're available wherever podcasts are found. That's Podbean, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneFind. We are everywhere. So no excuses, everybody. Make sure that you're listening um, and supporting. The quickest way for us to, for you to support and the cheapest way for you to support is to rate and review us on iTunes. It's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and find out what you like and what you don't. Because I've been to the future where we do become the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media. But I can't tell you how we do it. Flash already told you you can mess up the timeline doing that. So I can't do it. But keep supporting us. Hit us up at Facebook.com slash comic book click. Instagram at comic book click. Or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We're also at Major Issue CBC, constantly posting updates on the podcast and dank memes, I think as the kids say it today. So yeah, follow us all over social media. If you do want to, you know, be go above and beyond for as little as 10 cents a day or $3 a month, you can become a patron of us on patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse uh, and help keep the lights on. Majority of what we do here, we do free of charge, uh, but it does take labor. It does take monies on occasion. So if you guys can support at any time, any donation, uh, and it's not even a donation. It's an exchange of goods because if you guys give us money on our Patreon, you get exclusive content like CBC commentaries where we talk over a film and you can act like you're sitting right with us having a conversation. So keep on doing that. Next stop on the major issues journey is going to be Captain America Civil War because by this time next week, it will have already been my birthday. And that is one of my favorite, if not my favorite comic book movie. So join us next week where we'll be tackling Captain America Civil War. I don't truly expect this episode to take off only because the medium has just come out. But that's the great thing about podcasting. This episode will exist in perpetuity. So whenever you get to Justice League Society, I mean Justice League Society, Justice Society World War II, uh, you can just pop this in and join us for the ride. But I believe that's all I have on my end. Checking boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, next week, Captain America Civil War. Get ready, guys. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Dan, the comic book man. And this has been our Justice Society World War II recap and review. And remember... Whether or not your powers are limited to an hour at a time, whether you have super speed or a sonic scream, whether you live for hundreds of years or a man who gets reincarnated, remember that we're stronger together. Remember, we are in a league of our own. And remember... And there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. Uh, there's no crying in baseball, Wonder Woman. <laughs> you said a league of their own. I couldn't help it. <laughs> <laughs> remember, we're in a league of our own. And remember that you, yes, you are worthy.